Hello and welcome to Above the Sea with me, Anand Mystery. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our guest on this episode is Viran Joshi. Virabai is one of the founders of Manav Sadhana, which is an NGO based in Gandhi Ashram that has been serving underprivileged communities for the past 30 years. Virabai, how are you? Good. Good, 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 good. Um, I thought I'd like to start this um, actually in the now, um, because amidst um, all the coronavirus craziness that has been going on at the moment, and we'll get on to the uh, journey of Manav Sadhana later, but actually, so Manav Sadhana are working with thousands of children every single bit, every single day. But what has this or will this have on the communities that you're working with every day? Um, the coronavirus, uh, there's a lot of unrest right now. Uh, especially the communities where we work with, yeah. awareness is very low. Mm. So people are scared yeah. and not sure about a lot of things. Mm. So, um, now, even though we are running a non-formal school, yeah. we had to decide to shut it down. Mm. So that means our 11,000 kids that we kind of give love and care and support, mostly important nutrition, yeah. uh, they're not going to get. So our concern is all these kids are going to be now at home. Yeah. Parents are going to be at work. Mm. So uh, they're not going to be uh, cared for in some ways, and most importantly, uh, they also get food at, at school and schools are closed so they are not going to get their food at school mm. and now Manasadna we also supply, uh, give them beautiful nutrition and milk and stuff yeah. they are going to be out of that too so uh, I have a little bit of a concern there yeah. uh, so we will see how, how, we, how it goes so yeah. uh, the other aspect of it is like we are also very concerned and I spoke to Ashish like today about the rat picking with sisters because uh, they'll be they'll be the most exposed with the, all the all the garbage and all the stuff that they will go through on the street. Yeah. So they have to be very very careful. And I was trying to share that if it's possible, if they they afford it, they can't afford it. See if they can take a break for a week and not go out on the street. Well, this is picking. this is exactly it. So this what I've been thinking is that. Um, these communities, they're earning an income for the next day. So that idea of, um, you know, stopping and, yeah. you know, that idea of social distancing, it's not possible it's very for tough. these types of communities. It's tough. So, uh, first of all, them not having a choice to stay home. Yeah. And the second is having a little bit, a lot less awareness because mm. they're not that connected to the newspaper, they're not literate, mm. uh, not access to the TV. Yeah. I think there are going to be a little bit of vulnerability there mm. that we're all concerned about. So the cool thing is yeah. our own community youth and the kids and the scout kids yeah. and teachers came up with this idea yesterday yeah. that how about if we go to each street in each community yeah. and have a uh, street meetings right out inside the community by street by street yeah. gather people mm -hmm. and spread awareness and also tell them if they are stuck if they have issues they can come to Manasadna and we can help them out so that part we're doing it that I'm very happy and that's something didn't come from us yeah. it's just our youth is thinking 
but this idea sharing is so yeah. those things are happening. Yeah. yeah, so I think that well that was uh, one thing I was thinking is that when anything like when there's a shock or disaster that occurs, it always seems to be the most vulnerable that will be worse off. Absolutely. Right? Because like I said, they can't take a, a week off uh, because they're earning in income for the next day. The idea also in these slum communities that Manas have now operating is that actually that idea of self-isolation mm -hmm. or social distancing also isn't possible because it's such a tight-knit community that you're never a few meters away from each other. So, so the prayer, our prayer <laughs> is uh, the heat increases, which is which is kind of wild because we're loving this a uh, little bit of colder weather yeah. in March. Mm -hmm. Right now, we're just praying that it gets up to 35, where everybody's saying that the virus is a lot less effective when mm -hmm. um, it's a little bit of warm. Yeah. And that's because that way, uh, this community, like, yeah. where most vulnerable, mm. get instant break and they don't have to worry about uh, getting this virus or mm. what to do and things like that. So there's a lot of unrest and yeah. vulnerability in the communities that we serve. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for, for me, especially the audience that will be listening to this who are either, say, from the UK or Europe or US, um, is that it gives a real sense of perspective, right? Yeah. You know, for me, I'm, I can easily take a flight home in yeah. the next few days. Yeah. Whereas these communities can't, right? They, they have can't no place to go. Right? Yeah. It's, uh, it's yeah. tough. Because, you know, there's been so many news stories in the UK as well, yeah. Europe, of people going to the supermarkets, hoarding yeah. food, hoarding food, hoarding yeah. toilet paper. Yeah. Whereas, you know, these are realities that you can't even imagine here. Right? I know. And uh, very, everybody's really happy the way government here in India is handling this uh, in many ways as to awareness and the cell phone uh, messages and things like that is pretty cool. And uh, some of our volunteers uh, from Australia and Germany, they're called back by their organizations. Mm. And, and they're not happy about it because uh, statistically, uh, India at this point is a safer place to be right. in coronavirus yeah. uh, rather than them going to Australia or Germany because it's more mm. susceptible <laughs> over there uh, but uh, I think there are, they are going to end up booking their tickets yeah. so uh, they're all going home uh, but not happy Mm. They don't want to go. <laughs> wow. That's another another interesting situation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that we'll come on to in yeah. this uh, podcast. Yeah. But I want to kind of take things way back um, to actually when you were growing up, that's all right, uh, and when you were maybe a teenager. Uh, yeah. And just to understand, you know, at that age, what were you interested in, passionate about growing up? Uh, honestly, as a, as a teenager, yeah. uh, Sports was my priority. Yeah. <laughs> I was crazy about playing sports, and I was the youngest in the family. Uh, uh, so, uh, uh, in home, I was getting a lot less attention. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was I was more active, more busy outside playing sports and things like that. Uh, growing up, but as I grew up a little bit older, which is like first year of college and stuff like that is where uh, this, this process of uh, thinking through a little bit a little bit more uh, about life and... Uh, and why do you think you started to think about those things at that time? Yes, 
So I, I must say that that uh, that uh, I have to say that that goes back to uh, me being blessed having a, a father who was a freedom fighter uh, all his, and, and then serving all his life. Uh, after after freedom fighting is over, he was in villages uh, giving awareness and education about creating corporate society and strengthening farmers and things like that. Even though we could not relate a lot at early age uh, because I was so much into the friends and mm. a, and sports and stuff, but uh, it sink it sink in later on uh, the life he lived. Yeah. Uh, and then having that access uh, of that kind of a father mm. and also uh, some good reading in home uh, was available. My mom, my mom is very. Uh, she only went uh, uh, her education is seventh grade, but. Her reading taste and having a good reading material in the home helped us all. What, what type of things did you like reading? What, what, really, what books really influenced yeah, you? Yeah, I think uh, uh, one powerful thing is Ram Krishna Paramahansa at a very young age. Uh, we had those books available uh, in home and mom and dad talking about it. And then uh, one, uh, one powerful shift as a young age that I always remember uh, and share also is like uh, my dad, <clears throat> when we were growing up, there was a saint, uh, similar category of this two amazing saint was, but local Gujarati saint, his name was uh, Pandura, uh, his name was Dongareji uh, Maharaj. Uh, amazing saint and he, he was uh, like Murari Bapu now, he was he would discourse and and, and sh uh, seven day discourse talk about uh, Ramayana Mahabharata but in a modern life how it should relate to your life and things like that. Mm. Very inspiring, more mm. amazing. Uh, Can amazing. You, are you able to give me some examples there? Like, uh, what, you know, applying it into those modern day lives, what, what types of things? Yeah, yeah, so, so that's what I wanted to do. So I was nine years, I was in ninth grade yeah. and my father announced in the home that Dongraj is in town and he's doing this discourses and in his discourses there's 150,000 people said at one time. Seven hours but queens of silence, print of silence. Nobody leaves, nobody gets up because he, that's that was his magic and it's not like he he, he has any uh, charismatic eyes or nothing. He, he would close his eyes and he shared beautiful stories from scriptures and connect you in this life. So I was in ninth grade and my dad came home and <clears throat> told us that kids, I have taken seven days off my work. I'm giving you a note to your school. You've taken off seven days. Wow. And we're going to sit through this discourses. <clears throat> well, as you can imagine, as a kid, that wasn't a good news <laughs> at that age, you know. <clears throat> No friends, nothing, no activity, just sit in this discourse with mm -hmm. mom and dad. But we did that. And uh, in one of the third or fourth days, I remember that he's told a story. And that, I think, stuck to me uh, and has something to do with who I am today. So he shared, a, he asked a question before lunch saying, in Hindu religion, we believe that we... We, re we believe in reincarnation and we believe that we graduate in the reincarnation of ants to birds to animals and then we end up getting 
graduated to a human being. Mm. Uh, and we, are, we get this body. Yeah. So he asked a question, he's like, why do you think your soul in this body as a human being, why are you given uh, this, this human body? What's the purpose? And then he said, we're going for lunch, and you guys all think about it, and then we'll talk about it after lunch. Now, in ninth grade, I was thinking. <laughs> like, what's what, what, are you just ninth grade? Around? I mean, that would be around 14, 15 year wow. old. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, eating lunch, I couldn't figure it out why I'm a human being and not an animal. So I'm asking Dad. So it's like, why? And he said, well, what did, I can tell you, my version, but think about it till we go back and let Sadongrajimar tell you why. <coughs> we went back and I was curious and he shared a beautiful story that a, a little child can also, somebody like me can connect and that was very powerful I think. And that is like he says, okay, a dog on a street, you give him one roti, dog eats it. You give him second roti, dog eats it. Third one, maybe if he's hungry, he eats it. Now he's full. Now you give him fourth roti, now he's not hungry. He says, what does dog do? I'm going to ask you, do you know what dog do? I'm not sure. Okay. Um, yeah, because uh, you're not grown around street dog, right? <laughs> so what the street dog does is they bury it in the sand. Okay. Yeah, they dig a little ground, yeah. bury it for later. Mm -hmm. Maybe when I'm hungry later, I'm going to eat it. Or the, if he has a puppy, then maybe save it for the puppies, right? So he says that that's what they do, yeah, right? And then everyone says, yeah. He says, well then, everybody sitting here, 150 some thousand people, think about it. How are we living? What do we do with our lives? Earn all we can. All they just go after earning money in whatever ways we can. Yeah. In the wrong, right ways to just keep gathering, collecting and then save it, put it in the bank. Yeah. Yeah. For what? When you get old, we're going to need it. Or our kids going to need it. So how is it different than that dog burying that little roti in the sand and eating all of that? Mm. So he said that is why. We're, diff we're, we're not dogs and cats. we got to be better than dogs and cats. Our lives, the human body that we have received, it has a lot deeper, bigger purpose. But if you're just going to live like that, is to just earn like crazy and save like crazy for your old age, and for your, then you're just like dog and cats. That story stuck to me a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so it's probably that that kind of made you probably... Yeah, I think that builds on it from yeah. then on. And then uh, when I was in uh, first year of college, I was able to get my... And I had this, I was blessed with this little leadership quality yeah. from early childhood. Where, like, do you think, where do you think though, you got those leadership qualities from? I have no idea. I, I can't, I don't think I can uh, pinpoint that, but I think it's just growing up. Maybe, I'm not sure. It feels like your father had a quite big influence. I think so. I think yeah. so. So, I mean, I was always kind of leader of a pack 
growing up, uh, up friends and whatever. So I was able to uh, motivate a group of friends to uh, serve in small ways. And none of them had any money. My father was a didn't make any much of a money because he was serving most of the time. Yeah. So we grew up with very little, two pairs of clothes. I was walking to the college. I didn't have any money to even get in the bus and go to the college. Four, five kilometers walk back and forth. Yeah. So there's not money, yeah. but whatever we could do with uh, collecting from home, leftover medicine that we can collect, leftover food that we can collect. And we started serving a little bit at an early age. And that, that taste of that serving selflessly, uh, I think had a lot to do with grooming and uh, uh, carving a journey for me. Because at early age, I think I felt <clears throat> that peace, that happiness in serving. Right, okay. Yeah, and then... Of course, we all had to do what we had to do is finish school, college, and going forward. I think, yeah, that's an important point, right? When you've experienced something <clears throat> and you then feel the, you know, the internal peace yes. that you felt from doing that, yes. then you, at that time, you must have felt, oh, I'm onto something here. This, is some, yeah. this, isn't, this isn't just a, a one-time thing. Yes. Yes. Right? Yes. Right, right, right. And where do you think, again, at that young age, that leadership quality, that idea to serve, how did, you know, in your friend circles that you were with, how did that influence them? It did, actually. Yeah. It's beautiful. Uh, I think uh, even today, my, the best, one of my best friends, he's, uh, he's a full-time Walter trustee of Manasadna, and I think this experiment has a lot to do with how we are together, serving together, even today, right. after 50 years or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the impact was very good. Uh, and... Uh, uh, the, the cool thing was one or two were blessed, uh, wealth-wise, money-wise. Yeah. So they could bring a little bit of a contribution from their parents. Okay. Even some of them were spending their own pocket money and their allowances saying, here, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go to one less movie. Wow. And here's a little bit from me. Uh, I'm gonna not going to eat out this week. Here's my contribution. Yeah. And then together we would go in places where we could just go randomly go in to hospitals or somebody that's sick or somebody that needs something mm. and this we just pop out. Wow. There was no no coordinated uh, effort to like yeah. creating something or funding or organization or nothing yeah. like that. Just a very random small things. And were you did you have other kind of inspirations growing up in your life? Um, what other <laughs> kind of what other key factors and influences uh, influence that type of behaviour for you? Could you uh, <clears throat> Uh, nothing that I can really remember other than just what I just shared yeah. about this this uh, exposure to the mm. to my father's uh, uh, life and yeah. uh, and that's uh, yeah. sharing it by Nongreji Maharaj and yeah. and some readings and things like that. I think mm. those were the the powerful things. Right. And I think it's, I think the other powerful thing is you had those influences. Um, you had those books, but then you actually did. You actually did something. Yes. And then you learned by doing. Yes. Right? I think it was that. So, yeah, sorry, you were going on to say that. And then the natural path of life kind of takes form. So, after college, then what, what was it that you were doing? Yeah, so uh, doing all of this, and uh, of course, a lot of stupid things also I did uh, as a young person. Uh, 
but then as I grew up, um, and as I was graduating from the college at the age of like 21 or something, mm. uh, I quickly realized that father was retired, uh, and uh, uh, the, the same house that we're sitting right now uh, still had to be paid. Uh, he had loans that he still had to pay, and my brother was uh, two years older than me, but he was pursuing his master's in engineering, uh, so he was still in college. So the dad has to pay for, somehow, pay for that too. Mm -hmm. And it was a quick realization that I gotta, I gotta support my mom and dad. Okay. Priority. So uh, I took up a job uh, and started supporting in whatever ways uh, I could uh, to mom and dad. So, uh, and then, in 1980s, 81, 82 is where I got this opportunity to go to U.S. because my sister was in U.S., uh, married and uh, moved to U.S. and she did our immigration visas. And so, in like '82, we got this visa call from U.S. Uh, from embassy or whatever consulate to go to mm. United States on an immigrant visa. Yeah. And then my first instant reaction was, uh, I didn't want to go. Why is that? Uh, two things. One was uh, uh, I was very closely attached to my mom and dad. Yeah. Uh, my brother was in hostel, uh, so he was a little less uh, connected, but I was deeply connected. So I, I, I felt like this is the time that I should be with my mom and dad and not just go and make my mm -hmm. career to sure. US. Yeah. And the second thing was I was kind of naive. I, I thought the life here with friends and uh, life in India uh, so was more attractive to me mm. and that was one other thing and the one other thing was uh, because of how my father served the nation <coughs> as I was growing up I had a deep uh, bonding with India it's like uh, a connection to this country mother motherland sure and uh, that also kind of saying like I don't want to like just leave my country. So then, what was it that eventually shifted them? Yeah. So a couple of things. <laughs> yeah. The sister was able to convince me that uh, the way you are and uh, you be you be able to easily fit in and be successful. And the second thing, the most important thing was I felt supporting my mom and dad uh, financially. Okay. Because we all kind of knew that if I was able to go to the U.S., I can probably earn more money quicker mm -hmm. and support my mom and dad. Yeah. And then the third thing was this uh, understanding and possibility that if I can earn some money, take care of mom and dad, then I can pursue this desire of living a life of serving and giving full time can be possible. Right. I had that in my mind, back in yeah. my mind. So that was another attraction to go to the US too. And that actually became true. Wow, okay. I think that's something that I want to get to a bit later, yeah. but just whilst we're in the kind of US story now, mm -hmm. like what was it um, in your time in the US then? Uh, did you particularly learn moving away from India and being in the US, new culture, new environment? Mm -hmm. You've left your friends, you've left India, which you love. Um, what were the struggles? for you, moving uh, and being there. Also, what did you learn in your time there? Yeah, um, 
the unfortunately 1982 is where we ended up uh, going to US in February 1982 it's specific uh, the, the, the unemployment at that time was really high in the US so here we are you know with the hope of opportunity in the US and earning or whatever and, and there's no jobs available that so that so it's almost like that idea of the American dream yeah Not so it, it so wasn't that exciting yeah. as we went there and sister even my brother-in-law who supported us so just a really quick one just in spin here just you know me being here for the past few months and understanding Indians desire to move away from India mm. this is a very complete digression yeah, but what is your opinion on that like the idea that moving away from India to, let's say, the UK or the US is better or is perceived to be better. Do you have an opinion on that? Or? Well, just to... Uh, I think perspective is important and the reality is there. The reality is that, unfortunately, even today, there is a severe unemployment for educated youth in India. Mm. And after pursuing so much of education uh, so seriously and expensive sometimes, uh, when youth are uh, not being able to get a job or earning and stuff like that, mm. uh, the frustration is building. Mm. And as they see the possibility outside India, sure. uh, so without, uh, beyond their willingness or against their willingness also, mm. I have seen where they are picking out these options of going there and pursuing their career like that. Mm. So, uh, but if personally, when people ask me, uh, youth, I definitely tell them to uh, think twice uh, before you make that decision. So, must explore all the possibility mm. here before you just. So, I say that uh, not the the glamour and charm about. Uh, Western country. Yeah. Don't go there because of that. If you have really set goals and some some uh, specific things that you want to accomplish, then go there. But not just because you feel that it's just cool life there, <laughs> and uh, you're gonna get rich quick. And, and I think life. it plays into that story of you know them thinking or caring about what other people think of them. So the perception that of going there that yeah. has on other people. Yeah. That's what's backwards, right? Absolutely. Right. So that is what I feel right now is like uh, uh, so in some cases like I say I don't blame them because mm. there is a situation where they're so frustrated mm. and they feel like they might get a better opportunity there and they are going there. But at the same time there are people who has no clear idea as to why they want to do it. They just want to just do it because other people are doing it. Or they feel that, oh, I have my dad has money, maybe let's just try it. Mm -hmm. So those things I, I think is wrong. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So, sorry, just going back to then, sorry, your... Yeah, so, yeah, so, so I ended up there and then uh, initially uh, my, uh, my sister would say, you know, I'm going to work uh, and why don't you drop off uh, and pick up the uh, my nephew Akash, and uh, very uh, very amazing kid, and I was very close to him from the beginning. So he was like six, seven year old, and I would just kind of, kind of take him to the school in the neighborhood. It was Hinsdale, Illinois, uh, is where I used to we were living at the time. And when I went to school first time to drop him off. 
it blew me away. Because I went to public school, municipal school here, and then I'm, a, I'm aware of the schools here, uh, public school and things like that. So, when I, and I asked the teacher if it's okay if I walk around after dropping off in his, in his class, can I walk around a little bit in school? And they said, yeah, go check it out. And I kind of walked around when I saw the school, and I was just like, couldn't believe it. This was so such public school in the U.S., but it was so beautiful, just comparatively. It was amazing to what I have been exposed to. Um, beautiful individual desk, uh, lockers, uh, science class, language class, art class, this class, and then how kids change classes and not teacher uh, comes to the same class all eight hours. Just keep, that's all you in India. Just same class. And then teacher keeps coming to you and things like that. Lunch room, beautiful lunch, healthy this and that. And only 20 kids or 15 kids in the class. And teacher knows you by name, teacher knows your parents by name and all of that. And that blew me away. And then I came and that night, I was up almost all night. Half the night or all night. Just thinking about, just comparing as to how kids uh, are growing up in India, going to what kind of schools uh, compared to what these kids are getting. And, and not in a complaining way or anything, but it's like, why? Uh, but then, what can I do or what can we do? Uh, and it was, of course, it was such a huge, uh, uh, it's like I didn't have any solution or nothing. But point is, it didn't make me sad, but it inspired me. <clears throat> so when today, when I when we take our kids to U.S., Manusadna kids, so many of them ended up going to U.S. and U.K. <clears throat> we sit with them before they take off, <clears throat> and I share this story with them a little bit. That when you go there, don't be sad that you're missing out in this beautiful thing, but think like. What can we do to bring some of the good things here sure. back home? Yep. See those countries as a point of inspiration and learning mm. to bring back uh, like that. So that's what happened to me. Yeah. And I was, I was thinking about it and then, <clears throat> excuse me, and then of course looking for work. <laughs> <laughs> that was really tough. Was it tough? It was. Yeah. It was. Were you stressed? Not really. No. Uh, I was trying hard. Yeah. Uh, I had a great support. Uh, my my sister and brother-in-law were amazing. Uh, I hear some horror horror stories where relatives call you there, and then in one week they're saying, "There you go. You're on your own. We called you here. <laughs> Figure it out." Mm. But it wasn't like that. In our case, we were blessed. Uh, beautiful yeah. love and support. She taught me how to drive. Got me her driver license. She even drove me to interviews and things like that. Okay. So, but anyway, uh, my brother was an engineer, so yeah. he was looking for engineering work. Were there any cultural difficulties that you experienced? Uh, yes, language for sure was a tough one, mm. uh, and the weather was wild. I mean, we were in Chicago. Yeah. So February we were there, and everybody went to work. It was just me and my brother in the home. And we look outside the big window and it's like, wow, sunny, beautiful day. 
and we're not used to be stuck in a house from India, so we're like, let's get out. And we're wearing shorts, not knowing. We just step right out. Two minutes, we rush right back in because <laughs> it was so, so damn cold. Yeah, classic. <laughs> and it was. It yeah. took us a while to get over that little hump over there about the weather and things like that. Uh, but yeah, looking for work. Uh, and then I got this uh, interview, uh, and so many places were denied because I couldn't speak the, the American English or the English that they can understand. Mm. Did that frustrate you? A little bit. Yeah. Just a little bit. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but it, for me, it was uh, need because constantly mom and dad need waiting support was so that was what kept you motivated yes yes very motivated and I got this interview where they were opening up a new store uh, TJ Maxx is a, is a clothing store very famous clothing yeah. store over there and they were opening a new store and they were taking interviews and then uh, and I was nervous I, again I thought that they were not going to hire me and it was just a floor position of a minimum wage three dollars and thirty-five cents an hour but still I, I felt like I was giving an interview for like a, a CEO or something I was so nervous trying to get a job here and then it was I remember Irene was her name black lady uh, African-American lady and she saw me a little nervous and she was nice uh, she gave me a little room about my English and stuff and uh, all I could tell her at the end of the interview, is like, I need a job badly. And I'm going to work hard. So give me an opportunity. And I think that went, went across. Yeah. And she got me in. So I got a job. $3.35. But it was, it was tough uh, because everybody else around me was American. Uh, language, the culture, what they eat, uh, yeah. everything was tough. Uh, I didn't fit in initially. Uh, did you feel ever lonely at all? Uh, times yeah. at work, I yeah. did. Sure. Uh, because I couldn't communicate well. Uh, in a lunchtime, I was by myself, yeah. and I would bring lunch from home, which was the Indian food. And I wanted to like sit in my corner, eat my food, watch them do whatever they are doing, kind of thing. Yeah. But to me, those are not setbacks. Yeah. I thought, I always feel, felt now, yeah. it was hard, but I, I feel now that it was, it was a good learning experience. Those yeah. things made me learn things and made me tougher. Yeah, what, what exactly did you learn in, in those types of experiences? Yeah, those things are like, we're, we're immigrants, we're, we're new here, and we come from a different country, mm. and, and this is part of it, and we're going to have to adjust, and yeah. we're going to have to learn, and we're going to have to uh, adjust and, and uh, adapt. So I think, yeah, being adaptability, yes. I think, is a huge yes. one. Yes, yes. Building resilience, becoming stronger through yes. those experiences. Yeah. Yeah. So and I think it's only outside of your comfort zone where you have the opportunity to progress and personally grow. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Is that how you felt? Yeah. 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 And then I remember the first uh, uh, paycheck uh, of $3.35, uh, whatever it was after tax, yeah. uh, writing a, a, a check from my account and sending it, mailing it to my father was a powerful moment. And I would, Never forget the real money, mm. 
but just the idea that finally, you know, I'm doing something, I'm, I'm starting to send some something back home. Mm. And uh, back then it was letters and not phone calls. Uh, the cell phones were not born, thank God. But <laughs> but writing letters to mom and dad and sharing this everything and then mom and dad sharing back as to how they felt gratitude about uh, being able to uh, get those little amounts of checks so that father would go and deposit it here. That must be incredibly proud. Yeah, I think so. I think so. So that was good. And then there were some tougher moments, like funnier too. Like one day, and because of my English, they wouldn't put me on the floor. I only had to work on the back on the warehouse. Uh, and I, I got it. It was okay. Uh, uh, but then uh, one day, and my job was to empty the uh, trucks in the warehouse. The new stuff comes in. And again, I, I yes, I born in in lower, you know, middle class. But we never, I never really did any hard labor work, which is like eight hours of gruesome <laughs> work. And that's what I was doing there, right? But mm -hmm. uh, so it was a little tough. I was sore. Yeah. Um, going home, uh, my uh, we were going home, and everybody eating dinner and. There was a conversation that somebody want to carry, but I'll fall asleep in the sofa. <laughs> Just so exhausted. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So it was a little tough, uh, like that, once in a while. Yeah. Before I guess, then I got used to it. Yeah. But then I was I was carrying a huge box off a truck. Yeah. And then uh, it says fragile glass thing, and the box was super heavy, so I couldn't drop it. And I had to lay down. If I drop and crack it, my job is over. And job was, even the minimum wage was important. So I squatted down, put the box in, and wearing a, a old pant from India that I had, yeah. gave, man, it was just... <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Disaster. I, exactly. Classic. <laughs> And I'm like, whoops. <laughs> so the first thing I did was I like, took my insert out. Yeah. And it was funny. It was a $3.35 a store job. And even mm. though I was in a warehouse, the rule was I had to wear a tie and shirt every day. Now, growing up, I had only a few pairs of clothes. Mm. My dad was able to get us one more pair because I'm going to the U.S. Yeah. And that's about it. Wow. So... Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, so so I told my brother-in-law any old ties that he's not wearing, he can just just kind of spare it to me. Mm. And it was it was now thinking back, it's funny and I laugh about it, but at the time, yeah, at the time it was so doesn't matter what color uh, pant and shirt it was, yeah. I would just throw any tie that I had from my brother-in-law, mm. and it wasn't matching, but I didn't care. And I knew that people were kind of looking at me, or maybe even making jokes, or maybe laughing. But then, that's how it was. Wow. Yeah. Was, yeah. So during that time, and the observations that you're having, and the experience that you're having, you know, and you know, obviously growing up in India, what types of comparisons and what what types of thoughts were you having, having that comparison with the life in, that you had in the U.S., what you were yeah. experiencing, and then the life in India? Of course, the, the life in India that I had was, I was 
going to work yeah. and earning some money. Yeah. But I knew that in U.S. with the dollar and the difference in the rupee and dollar and opportunity, yeah. there is a possibility yeah. that I can earn something more and quicker. Yeah. And support my mom and dad in a beautiful so way. So at, at the root, it was always, the motivation was for your parents to yes. earn money for your parents. Yes. And that's what yes. kept you going. Yes. And that, and also, a little bit in the back of mind, is like, somewhere along the line, I want to get this hump over, mm -hmm. to where I'm done with mom and dad, and supporting in a beautiful way, and then maybe get into a things that my heart always want to do. Sure. Go back to country. And I, I missed... India always, of course, and we all do, our yeah. homeland, we all miss it. But that was also a back of the mind. Sure. Yeah. So then how did that then journey progress for you? Obviously, I'm sure you must have worked your way up, became a... Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. so uh, but that that story about uh, my pant uh, yeah. tearing apart, and um, so I, I couldn't come up with... I was so embarrassed and didn't know... How can I share or tell anybody? But then what do I do, you know? Mm. So all I could do is I found a stool or, or a small place to sit and I just sat on it for a while. Yeah. And then somebody complained to yeah. the manager yeah. saying that Indian guy in a warehouse, he's just sitting, not working. Wow. So the manager came and it's like asking me a direct question. Like, are you okay? What are you doing? And <laughs> that moment is to how to tell her what's going on mm. and uh, even with the broken English uh, was not a happy moment <laughs> it was a tough moment yeah, I can imagine. but but she was nice and uh, she she was I said I need to call my sister that's all I can think of mm. to call my sister and say what can you bring a pair of pants or pick me up or something right yeah. and then uh, I didn't even know if I can just leave the job, uh, so I told her to see if she can, uh, one only pair of pants, another pant that I have, if she can bring it over, and luckily she was home, she was nice enough to actually bring pair, <laughs> wow. change it and went back to it, cool. but talking about struggles and learning process, yeah. that was just one. Absolutely. So then moved on and then of course. So this three dollar thirty five cents wasn't cutting it for what I wanted to support my mom and dad. Mm. So me and brother both kept looking for work, and then I ended up. Uh, uh, we were just driving around in, in industrial area looking for work. Again, work was still hard to come by, and then I see a sign on one of the factory saying "Need die casters, pay six dollars and twenty five cents." Well, I have no idea what diecaster was, but that six dollars and twenty-five cents. But you knew what that was. Yeah, <laughs> that kind of got my attention, right? So then I went home that night and I asked my brother-in-law, being an engineer, I asked, "What is this diecaster thing?" And then he explained to me a little bit about aluminum diecasting, how it works, and things like that. So then next day, I went and gave in. I went, went in, filled out the form, and I got an interview. Luckily. And the guy, the supervisor named Gene Scott, I remember the name, nice guy, white guy. Again, he asked me and I told him that, you know, I, I don't know a lot about night casting, uh, but I know enough. Whatever my brother-in-law told me, I explained to him. Yeah. But I guess they needed some people right away. So he hired me. 
And I was very happy. Six dollars twenty-five cents made me happy. It's double what you were earning before. Yeah. <laughs> but I had no idea what I was signing up for. <laughs> and it was a night shift job. So the job was basically a twenty-five feet long machine, big hydraulic monsters machine mm. that I had to run all night. And that machine, <clears throat> you have to pour hot molten aluminum all night. It's a red cherry hot aluminum and close the machine, the two dies comes together and there's a plunger that shoots that hot metal inside the die. Right. And the die opens up and then there's parts that you need to come out. Mm. Uh, steaming, hot and everything else. And then uh, once in a while the die opens, keeps it open. The metal goes in the air and then showers, hot shower. So, and then it ends up in your collar inside and stuff. And I think some people that, uh, say that, where did you learn a little bit of dancing? Well, that's what I learned my dancing. <laughs> wow, yeah. You gotta be when, nimble on your when feet. That, when that stuff goes inside, immediately you guys take out your shirt from the insert and start dancing <laughs> to get that stuff out of you. Wow. Because it burns you. So it was tough. And those, those levels were 10 pounds. And there was a set amount of parts you gotta make. Yeah. You gotta make this that uh, rate every day. Uh, so again, never used to that kind of work uh, all night, uh, but did it. And uh, uh, when the die opens up, they give you a channel lock that you have to take the part out, inspect it, and put it. And every once in a while, the part is so big, and if you just miss just a little bit. The part can touch your hand sometimes. And I still have all these dark spots oh, wow. on my, my ankle, on my wrist here, mm. uh, both wrists. To, those are the beautiful, I, I call it the beautiful ornaments and gift from that, that, tough, That's hard. that tough work. Yeah. yeah. As soon as it touches it, it takes your skin away. It's just nothing. Doom. Mm. It just takes yeah. And next hour you got this blister. Yeah. And it happened so many times. Was there ever a thought during those kind of tough times at work that I'm going to quit? I'm going to find something else. Was it ever too much? Very few times. Mm. Very few times. Yeah. Yeah. One time I literally passed out. Wow. Yeah, at work. Yeah. Because we have to set up our own dies. Yeah. And those dies are the size of this table. Huge metal dies. Yeah. You have to take the crane and, and the bolt and you need to bolt the dies on the platen of the machines, hydraulic machines. Yeah. And uh, the bolt is this size bolt that you have to tighten it. Yeah. And you and the and the wrench is this big. <laughs> so you need to carry the wrench, stick it on the bolt, wow. and then you put a big pipe over it. Yeah. And then you literally have to hang on a pipe. Good. Hang on a pipe and make it tight. Wow. And I was trying to do that and I learned it mm. and I was doing it but one day the pipe slipped from the wrench mm. and, uh, and that wrench flipped and I was wearing a helmet but because it, it slipped I lost the helmet unfortunately. Yeah. And that pipe hit me in my head. Wow. Yeah. And it was a night shift. Yeah. And I was literally passed out. 
Jesus. I bet you had, you couldn't have ever even imagined that that is what you were signing up for when you went to the US. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah not at all. In those times, again, I go back to the same point, but was it your family motivation that kept you going? Through that order, any, um, that yeah. and and also not quitting is something was in me from my childhood age. It's yeah. like not just giving up. Mm. It's just not in my nature. It's yeah. just like uh, saying, "Oh, this is too hard, and I'm not going to do it." Yeah. Because in sports, growing up, all of that, mm. this 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 value of staying with it, yeah. giving it 100 percent, keep trying. Yeah. Is also that, and of course the, the supporting mom and dad, mm. and not losing the six dollars twenty-five cents yeah. is also. And what other important. values do you see of that approach of kind of not quitting? What other value do you see in that approach? Well, first of all, it's very powerful because it brings your self-esteem. Mm. It makes you a stronger individual mm. when you stick to it and yeah. continue on, mm. and it always pays as you grow up. Yeah. That's my learning and experience that you stick to it, continue on, and not quit. At the end, it makes you a stronger, good individual, yeah. and it ends up paying in different ways. Mm. Absolutely. Those, awesome. are the, those are the learning from yeah. it. Okay. But luckily, it was night, so I was late. I, 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 I was, like I said, I was out. Yeah. And because it was night shift, there was nobody around me mm. and no supervisor. So I had no idea how long I was down. Out for a while, yeah. But then, then uh, thank God, I got, <laughs> got <up>. conscious. <laughs> I got up, went to the supervisor, told him what happened. And he gave me ice and all that stuff and I ended up going home. But I never told this story to my family that day. I told them years later. <laughs> you, wouldn't them, you wouldn't want them to worry, right? Yeah, and yeah. that, and they would make me quit. Right. Okay. Yeah. I didn't want that. Sure. Yeah. So, but anyway, so those were the kind times, yeah. and then I kind of learned, learn, 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 and then the cool thing was, I learned in three months. Yeah. In three months of that running machines. I was the best die caster in all three ships. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Amazing. I made the most parts yeah. and good parts. So supervisors <laughs> were happy. Yeah. Supervisors were happy. And I started picking up my English. Mm. I started copying this accent that I have is the gift of that. Yeah. That I, I right away knew that I'm going to have to adapt. Yeah. And sometimes people here in India, when they hear me, speak English, they kind of start guessing what am I doing, speaking American mm. accent. <laughs> and uh, they wonder about it, but unfortunately, this is something I can't get rid of it now. It's just like, <laughs> it's weird. Now, this, is, this is how I speak in English, yeah. yeah. But uh, I, I knew I had to learn it. That's why I learned it. It wasn't like, I want to be cool or whatever. I need to fit in so bad. Mm. It's just I knew this was the requirement. I, I, I'm gonna have to speak like them. So when I talk to them, they don't say pardon or what or things mm. like that. I, I just didn't like that. So I kept learning all of that. And uh, one day after three four months, uh, our QC guy, quality control guy came. Uh, John, uh, six foot maybe more, six and a half foot tall guy, was Canadian originally. 
and he was in quality control. And he says, Vern, today I gotta train you for a little bit of quality control. And I says, okay, what do I gotta do? He said, you gotta come to the office in quality control and we'll just go over some things. And three hours, we just do the training. I'm like, that's cool, man. Going away from this machine, sitting in office, works. <coughs> so we went there and he started showing me how to measure parts using calipers and micrometers and things like that. And then he says, you know, you measure this and write down the results. And there's five numbers, five parts, five measurements. And then you total it, the, the results, the measurements. And he took the calculator out and he, said, he started adding up those measurements. And well, I grew up here and I worked here in a company where some of the accounting work that I was doing and whatever. So as he was using computer, I told him it's gonna be this much. And then he looked at me and it wasn't decimal, but I told him. And he looked at me and it was what I told him. And he wrote it down. And then he says, you divide that by five. Because then you need to plot it over here. And I told him what it's gonna be, divide by five. Yeah. And he, and yeah. it was, I was right on, right? So that got, he got attention, that might mm. He goes, can you really do this in your head? And I said, yeah. <laughs> Most people in India can. Whoever yeah. went to school and college, they can do it because we learn all this without computers and calculators. And he's like, well, I can use you in our QC department. <laughs> I'm like, okay, talk to my boss and talk to this boy. I'm ready. Yeah. So that was a nice little break. They hired me as a QC inspector. Yeah. And that was a nice break. And from then on, it was just, uh, I became a QC inspector, and then uh, I ended up going to school in England. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I thought that this is a good break, mm. and I need to learn a little bit of engineering, so I ended up going to college yeah. in England. Got my, it took three years, yeah. but I got a degree. So there's also a real, real drive to continue self-improvement, yeah. learn more. Yeah, and my brother was an engineer, my brother was yeah. an engineer, so I, I picked up with them a little bit, mm. things like that. Uh, yeah. I would take parts home and measure at home and yeah. get their feedback and things like that. Yeah. Uh, and that was nice, so now it's like $9 and $10 an hour, so beautiful. And it just yeah. kept on progressing. Yeah, yeah. So then, during those times, then how did things progress to then taking you back to your service journey? Yeah, so I'm glad you asked that. Because the, as I was even running a machine, mm. the machine has a cycle time. So it closes and stays closed for two, three minutes, sometimes. Mm. That's the bigger part. Uh, and then the, the part solidifies. So every time, majority of the time when I go those two, three minutes, I end up in India. <laughs> Your mind's right. Yeah, and yeah. then I connect to, of course, the friends and family, mom and dad, of course, but also this life uh, of serving and my nation, my country, the kids back home, mm. the school here, school there, all those things comes. And during those times, I also pray. It's also, that is also important. Because you want something in life, and if it's selfless, you can always pray with a confidence because that works. Sure. So I put prayers out too that right now this is what it is and it's tough and I'm doing it. But I want to do something for my nation. I want to do something 
uh, for the kids back home. Just on that, sorry, what does the role of faith play in your life? Huge, yeah. huge, tremendous. Uh, and But the message is, not for yourself, is uh, things, never try it. The faith, uh, the learning that I have is when we do selfless uh, desire, uh, with that thought of doing something selfless, and when you put that out to the universe, to whatever faith you have in, it's magic. Mm. It works in the way, if you do it from the heart. And I think that helped quite a bit. So yes, uh, during that process, serving uh, and country and going back and all that was part of it. And this was beautiful. Now I'm earning more. Brother has also got a job. Mm. We were able to invite mom and dad to U.S. Uh, they came. It was a very amazing, powerful moment. They lived with us. Uh, we were able to take them out on vacations, uh, show, show them what U.S. is. Uh, they were happy. Uh, and then uh, in 85, 87, uh, able to save enough money to give it to mom and dad to saying, of course, paid off all the debt and everything for the home and everything. Mm. And go home back, go to house, go to her house and do whatever you want to do in house improvements and change. Because my dad was really connected to this house and mom was also. So we were able to give them with that funds and money and they ended up coming back. Uh, where that duty, I felt, that responsibility and duty was done. And I felt very complete in many ways and, and fulfilled mm -hmm. that all that hard work and everything else is paid off. Paid off. Yeah. And after they came back in 1989 is where, well just to complete a little bit of story about the work is like from QA manager, I became QA manager by the way. I was a manager for the whole plan, taking care of the quality control. I got 4Q1 for the company. I was traveling across the uh, United States. So you really worked your way right yeah. to the top. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And even from QA manager, uh, one day the Ford Motor Company came in because I, I got connected. I took a Q1 for for our company, so we got Ford work, a lot of Ford OE work, mm. original equipment work. So our business really grew because of that yeah. uh, possibility. So then Ford requested to have a plant manager uh, with a QE with the uh, quality control background only. So then I got offered a job to be a QA manager. I mean the plant manager. Wow. So then I got a job as a plant manager. Uh, when they offered me, initially I said no because uh, in a manufacturing environment, sometimes QA and manufacturing is like rivals. <laughs> like you gotta control these guys okay. to make good parts, and these guys see us as like police, police to, to control them. So I was like, no, I'm good at this point. Mm -hmm. But then when they told me what the money is gonna be, I'm like. Oh yes, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> I'm hoping on that train. Yeah. Yep, I did. So anyway, uh, about six or seven years, I ran a plant. Wow. I was a hundred fifty people work for me. Wow. So, just again, just going on that before we go back to the service yeah. journey. Now you've mentioned that. How did 
you, so you made your way right to the top. How much did you value your real early experiences in that journey? How much did those early experiences kind of on the floor, uh, you know, the hardships that you went through? I think a lot. I think yeah. a lot, a lot uh, helped me and work, helped me work through it. One is uh, the commitment to parents. I think it's very important yeah. to have that kind of a commitment that I, I'm going to do this, yeah. you know, and that's my duty and yeah. I, I'm going to do it. That was one. Uh, not wanting to quit and yeah. continue trying to make effort to do it. Mm. Uh, third thing is to deal with the tough situation and not feel depressed or quit yeah. was, was also very important value yeah. that helped me through it. Yeah. Um, tell me a story on that. Uh, one more story is very important. Like we had a, uh, a supervisor named Ron Maldino internship. And I mean, obviously it was very, uh, he made it obvious to where he didn't like foreigners at all. <laughs> very discriminative. Uh, and he, on, on, our, on my face, he would tell me how he hated me. Wow. Yeah, was, how did that make you feel? Bad. Yeah, it was tough. It was not easy at all. <laughs> Hate me in the sense like he would give me the worst machine available. Wow. Purposefully. When the machine breaks down, I go to him he's like, Ron, can you help me and fix this thing so I can run the machine? He was like, he would be sitting in his office with two feet on his table. He says, just grab a broom, sweep the floor, sweep, clean the toilets. Wow. I don't have any other machines, and I'm, I'm busy. I'm not gonna fix it. <laughs> there would be nights I'd be sweeping floors for five hours or cleaning a bathroom, so whatever it is, I did it. And it was just pure. And all the white guys would get nicer machines, and nicer treatment. Wow, that must be really tough. It was. It wasn't yeah. easy. It wasn't yeah. easy. But you must but, have learned a lot. Yes, I did. And yeah. it's just a part of growing up and. Part of saying that we came to this country as foreigners, and this is a learning process. And rather than me being hateful to him, or being, me being resenting that in the process where I'm gonna lose this opportunity, where I'm working, earning, and learning, I yeah. didn't wanna do that. Yeah. So just, just taking it in a way that it's not hurting me internally, mm -hmm. or anything like that. It was a very powerful process. Yeah, that yeah. was that feels like a very powerful process. Yeah. It's like knowing that you were working for something higher than yourself yeah. kept you going in that experience, right? Yeah. But the reason I'm sharing this story is something beautiful happened across the line, right? So when I went to QA manager and became a plant manager, and Ron Malio was still a third shift superman, superintendent. So he was working for me. Wow, the tables turned. And then how did you uh, work with him in that situation then? In a beautiful way. Yeah. Yeah. And why? Why did you feel like you should be treating him like Well, did? one was obvious is like when he treated me like like that, I knew how, how I felt mm. when he treated me like that. So I didn't want him to feel the same way. Yeah. It wasn't right. Yeah. Uh, the second thing, the learning, the growing up, uh, the values with the fathers and things like that. It was just not a right thing to do to remain a revenge like that. Uh, but he knew uh, what he did to me. Uh, yeah. Right? So 
he was extra nice to me. <laughs> of course. Uh, I can't yeah. feel the same way anymore, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, when uh, I think I quit before him. So when I quit, he was he gave me a hug. He was very appreciative. Wow. That, was, that feels like a very profound full cycle moment. Yeah, it was. It yeah. was. Yeah. And uh, uh, it was good learning uh, and a uh, good experience to share, I think. Uh, mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but then uh, in 89 I quit because at that point I had some money in my bank. Yeah. <laughs> because we, brother and I, we live in a joint family and uh, able to save some money. And uh, father and mothers, I felt were all set. And, uh, and that inner calling of going back and following my heart and serving mm. and, and, and feeling that peace and happiness of serving for others was calling me. Yeah. So 89 I quit, uh, told the mom and dad and the family that this was what I want to do. It was an easy conversation. Uh, they were not happy. They were not. Uh, they were scared because I was quitting something that was so powerful. I was making decent money, a plan manager in a company, mm. and they were like, "What are you doing?" You know, kind of. Thing. Yeah. Uh, but I was kind of sad. I wanted to, do, uh, yeah. and then I told them that I got to go back, yeah. and I did. So I '89, I came back. The one thing that kept me, uh, it was tough to quit U.S. Uh, was uh, the bonding with my uh, niece. <laughs> she was she was three year old I think at the time, two or three year old, mm -hmm. and uh, I was I was his favorite uncle of course. I was the only uncle, uh, and uh, that daughter uh, that I had a bonding with was so powerful, and I think that was. Real tough for me to quit that little girl, leave that girl, and that bonding with that with my brother's daughter was tough. Yeah. Because it was really beautiful uh, relationship, uh, just like a father and a daughter kind of thing. But anyway, but I still calling was stronger, so I left and I came. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And then so 1989 is the famous year when Manasatna yeah. started. So do you know? Show it to me how, how that all happened. Yeah, so in 89, when I came back, uh, uh, me and my mother uh, came in the same house. Uh, uh, and then I started, uh, had no idea <laughs> where I'm going to serve, what I'm going to do, how I'm going to do it. I had a little bit of a saving that I brought along, uh, not knowing, a lot of ins insecurity yeah. as to how we're going to do it. But one thing was sure was that I'm going to want to try it from my heart and give 100% to to do something. Uh, and children was something close to my heart. So I had a bicycle that I would just drive into the slum, same slum here, Bingjipura, I would go to. And I didn't know much better, so I would just buy singchana, uh, peanut and chickpeas, a couple of kg every day, yeah. and put a little tail on my uh, shoulder, ride my bicycle into the slums, and then try to connect with the kids by attracting them with Singchen. You know? <laughs> nice, yeah. <laughs> and then gather. But it wasn't working at all. The kids knew that this guy comes at four, Singchen Alabai, at four o'clock, 
they were all gathering me and they would just grab my thalo and they just yeah. wanted to get sing chana from me. Yeah. And then I could not really connect. My bike will go one way and I'll go the other <laughs> way and the sing chana will go the mm. other way kind of thing and it wasn't working that well. Mm. Did that dishearten you? A little bit, once in a while. But again, yeah. I went back to the, to the provider, uh, the universe and the faith, you know. Mm. So I sat in meditation uh, often, it's like, what's going to work, you know, uh, how do I go next, or what do I, so it was November 89, I remember, I sat in a meditation in Radekum Gandhi Ashram, in the home of Mahatma Gandhi, and meditation was natural for me, my father was doing it, and I learned it, and I like doing it, even today, mm -hmm. so I sat, and then it was weird, uh, strange in the sense that I don't say it's a miracle, but it was, very strange that that day, when I got out of the meditation, uh, I remember that when I was in New York on my company's work, I had a, a newspaper, Gujarati newspaper, mm. in my hand. And where I was living in Chicago, Illinois area, we didn't have Gujarati paper available that easy. So it was exciting for me to get a Gujarati paper. So I read cover to cover in a hotel. And I remember reading that paper, paper on a third page, there was an article about Ishwarvai Patel, a guy in India, in Gandhi Ashram. That was the context in Ashram. Yeah. Doing some really beautiful thing in Gandhi Ashram, in Gandhian way. And I'm like, wow, in Gandhi Ashram, this guy. And I didn't remember a complete name, but I knew that somebody that's serving in villages, sanitation work, and that context. So there was an older man, Vijay Dada, sitting there, and I asked him, and he said, Dada, there's some guy who's doing this sanitation and this work, last name Patel. Do you know him? He says, yeah. He says, right over there behind, in Safai Vidya. And there you go. I went there, and it was a beautiful moment. Vishwar uh, Dada was sitting on the floor, on the Gadi, same as we have in Manasadna. Mm. And uh, I went, and I still had this American thing in me, right? So I started out in English, saying, you know, my name is so and so, and I'm from Chicago, and <laughs> I'm from Chicago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I'm here to serve. And Ishwarada didn't speak much of English, but he understood completely. And he told me now, mind you, just sit for a little bit because he had other other people he was attending. And I sat through for a couple hours and he was observing everything and I walked around and was reading Safa uh, Vidyala material and everything. And it was a, just beautiful bonding. It was so powerful. And during that time in 1890s where I also lost my father. He died very suddenly. Oh, wow. so, so I think universe also, his way of connecting to Ishwabai, the timing was so powerful that mm a father figure kind of person that I ended up connecting to. Mm. And he was very humble, very, yeah. very nice. Uh, Do you mind me just touching on the passing of your father? Did that yeah. shift the way you thought or change any perspectives for you or change the direction of what you wanted to do? Or was it just, uh, yeah, did anything change? The one thing that changed in a positive way was like, uh, my father wasn't 100% okay with my idea of quitting U.S. and just settling here. Mm. Uh, so once 
he was gone, uh, there was nobody in the family that resented that much that my father did about this idea. Mm. And father was resenting in a good way. It's like, take care of yourself first, make sure you're okay, and then come back and serve kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't that good. But then I had this sort of a less pressure kind mm. of thing uh, about that. Sure. But other than that, nothing majorly it changed. Not, yeah, yeah, it was like, I'm like, this is it, I'm here, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, so that was it. I can started out with Ishwarana, uh, just go there every single morning, uh, and then learning. So he was the guy that uh, grabbed my hand, sort of led me, sort of handholding me about service, mm. uh, how things work in service, yeah. uh, and he uh, kind of taught me about the importance about the, the villages and India and sort of things I learned, very really important things with him and then... Uh, like what? Like what, what, what key learnings did you learn from him? What did he teach you? Yeah, I, I think uh, some of the Gandhian values uh, that I learned from him was very important mm -hmm. uh, was the purity, honesty in what we do, uh, being humble, mm -hmm. Being very clear in our goals, in, in service, sure. uh, very clean mm -hmm. uh, in the process of serving, yeah. those things. Yeah. Um, what do you mean by that? What, so maybe my question is, for Ishwadara, for yourself, what is service? What does it mean to serve? Uh, three things, I would say. It's, one is having clarity in service. It's like why I'm doing what I'm doing, why I chose this service. Yeah. Or even in service, if we pick one area of service, like children or women, or this, why? Mm. So having that clarity within you is very important because that clarity brings commitment. Regardless of what we do in our life, work or service or whatever, if we are not clear, our commitment is not there. Mm. So having the commitment was important. So that I learned. And then also purity is very important. And purity from Ishwadala and that journey and from my father, what I learned is just very simple. It's just the, the having the harmony between your thoughts, what you speak, and what you do. Having that harmony in your life is very important. And that is pure. It's simple. But that connects to, and when you have a purity, then the universe comes in and sustain your selfless goals. Unless you have a purity, the universe doesn't kick in. That's my learning of 30 years. If somebody, people, a lot of people ask me questions like, what is one major learning in 30 years? This is what it is. It's like when you... When you live this life in selfless serving, have a purity connected to it. And when you do uh, this journey with purity, the universe automatically is connects you. Yeah. It sustains you mm -hmm. in a beautiful way. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the things I learned. Yeah. And uh, at that time, he had this World Bank project came in, and it was a very tough project. It was a one and a half year project in villages of Gujarat. 50 villages, we had to 
uh, spread and uh, create awareness about the water, mm. clean water and value of water, saving water and all that. Because World Bank was giving a lot of money to Gujarat for water. And they wanted to create awareness in people that water is very important. And it's not free, yeah. those kind of things. And they gave it to Ishwarbhai, and Ishwarbhai said, ask me, what do you think, Virat? Should we take this body? Can we do this? And I said, yeah, let's do it. If you support me, if you help me, teach me, mm. I'll do it. And he took it. Uh, as an organization, he took the project. And there was only five lakh rupees in the entire project. No salary for me or nothing like that. And there it is. I was going to 50 villages, village by village, many times even walking from one village to the other village. Yeah. yeah. Because, like I said, there was no money. And later on, after six months, I was given one more help. Uh, one young graduate, fresh graduate from college, Bimal Bausar, to help me in the project. And at that time, I was, I, I had one, uh, one uh, Hadi fellow and one shoulder, a uh, few private clothes or whatever, my personal belonging. And one shoulder, I had this big projector, that slide projector I was working. Because I, I figured out that if I want to uh, engage uh, with these people on the villages, without giving anything. Because even back then, when you walk in a village, they all want like, what are you going to give? You know, what are you, where are you from? Are you from politics or are you from party or what is in for us, you know? Yeah. Why, would, why, would, why would I give you my time? What yeah. is that for me? Sure. So I figured out a, a way which was, uh, during the day I would take pictures in the village of water sources, public water sources, positive, negatives, people squatting in open, kind of things. And then what I tell people that tonight, I'm going to show you a, a movie about your village. And the, at that time in the 80s, they get excited about it. Mm. And then we put up a big screen, a big wall. And then during the day, I would sit on a public space in the middle of the village. And I can always play drums since my early childhood. So that was a, a good uh, skill. Mm. Uh, and I would find a drum in the village. And I'll start singing some bhajans. I remember that to fit in, Ishobai told us that you gotta fit in. Otherwise, if you're wearing jeans and t-shirts, who's gonna connect with you? Mm. So I was wearing dhoti, pattern, a little fali on the top. Yeah. And I even learned a little bit of local dialogues. Yeah. Ishobai taught me a little bit of local dialogues, mm. um, village dialogues. And then I was set and played drum, me and my other buddy that I had uh, supported, Bimal Bay. And we would sing some songs and things like bhajans. And people would gather around us and then we announce that tonight we're going to show you something nice, a picture, movie. We wouldn't tell them what kind of movie. <laughs> and they would get excited. Yeah. And then we pull out this old projector of that, that big circle thing that go katak, katak, katak around <laughs> and you switch and yeah. it gets stuck and then you gotta make it unstuck. Yeah. It was a big heavy thing that I gotta carry from village to village. Mm. But then we would put it at night, big, big projector movie. 
and then we'll show this all these beautiful slides. And they're in there, the village people are in there. And they get very excited about themselves on a big screen. And then I try to make points about the dirty water, the clean water, how to treat water and sure, things like that. Sure. So anyway, I did that project in such a beautiful there were days where I wouldn't come home for like weeks. Wow. Yeah. You'd be staying in the village. Yeah, village yeah. to village, village yeah. to village. Yeah. I suppose in that way you're immersing yourself in that experience. Yeah. You're learning about their culture, yeah. building empathy with Absolutely. But those Absolutely. key things about the journey. And learning the village and real India. Mm. Yeah? And the poverty. Yeah. Because Ishwara taught us that when you were in village, you go to the to the uh, the lowest of the law, which is always a region so called untouchable community. Mm. And it just so happens even today unfortunately they're away from the village. Right. Region was is always outside the village. Right. Ironically they are the cleanest, most hygienic places. Oh wow. Yeah. Every Harijan was, they're cleaner than the entire village. Is there a reason for that? Uh, I don't know. I mean, because I think the cleaning, cleanliness and cleaning profession they're connected with. Maybe, yeah. So that's one reason why. Mm. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, uh, but. Yeah. And they're very nice. Mm. And the good thing is I can play drum <laughs> and I love bhajans mm. from early age. Yeah. So I would just go and play drums with them and we sing songs and they get very excited. I never share my, uh, my where I'm from or my mm. caste. And it just so happens I'm Brahmin and I'm from like so-called one of the top Indian caste or whatever. Mm. But I never announce that to them. Mm. And then I do that bhajan, and then I tell um, one of the poorest, one of the family that uh, I'm going to eat with you tonight, if it's okay with you. And and they feed me. And those were the very powerful moments in my life to to go in a home which is small, dark, mud home, no ventilation, uh, and there's nothing in a home, and uh, there are times when I'm served uh, rotlo, roti in the hand, because they don't have in a place, so they give me roti in the hand, and they give a dal in a patoro, and then they're sitting on this side, and they're feeding me, and they're eating, mm. and then I'm worried if there's enough food to go around for them or not. Sure, yeah. Yeah, and then, I definitely I'm not used to eating that very spicy dal or mm. that very hard, big, thick roti. <laughs> and it takes me a while to just kind of chew and digest. And very powerful, silent, quiet moment where, where I am eating uh, and chewing and trying to swallow this something that I'm not used to eating. And then there's two humble husband and wife sitting right next to me, uh, feeling somewhat, uh, somewhat uh, ashamed in some ways. Yeah. It's like they're not giving me enough. Mm -hmm. And I am deeply uh, 
in tears, but the good thing is dark and they can't see my tears. Uh, but my heart's crying too. It's like just to feel that compassion mm. and that that hospitality yeah. and that humbleness, and then to see uh, the quality. Yeah. Especially where you know you were just in the U.S., you were then making a lot of money to go from there to yeah. that environment. How did that play? What were you thinking at that time? Yeah. It's just a compassion. Yeah. It's just a powerful compassion. And did you feel comfortable going from the almost luxury that you had built for yourself to that? That part didn't bother me actually no. because mentally I was really prepared for it. Yeah. Uh, this is what I wanted to do. This is what you wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. So I was okay with that. Mm. It's just that those situation was tough. Yeah. Because it, it make and any of us would make uh, very sad. Yeah. Uh, and uh, help us. Yeah. It's like this is my country. This is my brother. Mm. So, yeah. so those are all tough moments, but that's what it is. Yeah. So instead of feeling depressed or helpless, it made me think like we need this. We gotta do this. There are millions like this, mm. and learn from it, learn from their humbleness, learn from the love, all offering me what they were going to eat yeah. sometimes, right? Yeah. Uh, I was enough stupid, I was stupid enough in some homes where I asked for gore, if I can get a little bit of a jaggery, mm. and, and then them saying, sorry you don't have it, and I felt so stupid asking for it. But then I was learning, uh, and, sure. and that's what Ishore was teaching me, mm. in a beautiful way. Yeah. That this is where you go, that's where you sleep, and that's where you eat. Mm. And then that's what India is, and that's what service is. Yeah. And that's what the people who you need to share your love with. Mm. So anyway, that's how I grew up with that. The, the project was hit, <laughs> World Bank was thrilled. Yeah. They did their own survey and they were they couldn't believe yeah. the awareness I was able to create. Mm. Ishura was very happy. Awesome. Uh, year and a half passed by. Yeah. And during that time is where uh, we were me, Jayesh and Anar were in graduating from college and they just met, they were not even married yet. Uh, and Jayesh is Jayesh is son of course and uh, he he connected. Uh, he actually, uh, you know, kind of told him. He made a point, so he they come to the villages with me and spent time with three of us together. Mm. And three of us together uh, ended up going in some villages, same work, whatever next project. And they would also travel, not everywhere, but many some of the villages. <coughs> and then together, it was nice. Uh, they were younger than me, mm. uh, but it was powerful because they also came from that environment, that family. Both had this growing up, giving back and giving to the country. So similar values we shared. It was yeah. powerful. And then one thing became obvious for three of us because we got education. We were privileged to mm. to get education and everything. We knew, we saw that primary education 
Yeah. Or lack of rather. Mm. Is very, very important in a country like India. Yeah. Because in eighties uh, the women literacy rate in women was thirty percent in India. Yeah. Very low. And then we knew that uh, going into any village in, 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 in village, any home in the village, we could tell that there's some women here has some education, even small education. Because instantly we can spot a difference in the home, between the homes. Sure. Yeah, if yeah. there's an education, uh, there's a toilet maybe. Uh, mm. Kids are in school. Yeah. There's some sort of a cleanliness, or some sort of a understanding, or newspaper, or something of awareness of connecting. So we felt that we should focus on education a little bit too. At that point, we told Ishwarada that we want to work with the kids in education we want to work with. So when we came to Ahmedabad, this hostel we have in Gandhi Ashram, he said, there it is. You want kids and education? Here it is. Take this hostel. <laughs> the hostel that was started in 1969 by Parichilal and then carried on by Ishwarada, mm. but with no funds, and trying to cater this uh, poorest the poor kids and many parentless orphan kids, the hostel was in a sad shape. Termites, uh, never painted in years. Yeah. The food that they were offered to the kids was so bad. Uh, uh, the first day I went to the hostel, I picked up a piece of roti, put it in my mouth. It was like a chewing gum. And I couldn't swallow, and I'm like, how can, how can, how kids, can kids can eat this? Yeah. You know, uh, doors were broken. Kitchen was a burning wood burning kitchen, black with, with wood burning smoke. Mm. Kitchen, uh, no toilets. Toilets fuse were there, but they were not working. Clogged up. Yeah, kids were literally going out on the Sabarmati River for defecation, open defecation. And sure enough, that was a lot of work that could be done. So there were 35 kids at the time in this home because even the, the poor parents didn't want to put their kids into a hostel which has this kind of situation. Sure. So there were only 35 kids. Yeah. So instantly, the kids were as kids. Uh, India or abroad doesn't matter. Kids are kids. Mm. Beautiful. So we really bonded, connected with the kids. Yeah. It was a beautiful process of yeah. connecting morning with kids. And did you have any intentions at that time? Were there any intentions? What were your intentions? Nothing. Nothing. There were no. Just wanted to share our love and do what we can mm -hmm. to make those kids' life a little better. Sure. At a time. That's it. That's it. No intention at that yeah. time. Mm -hmm. So there it is. The saving that I brought along with me from the U.S. that I thought probably would last my whole life was spent in the hostel. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Renovating the hostel, you know, new toilets, mm. kitchen, fixing the place up, changing the menu, whatever was needed, we yeah. did it. Yeah. But that process of bonding Give, Giving your money away like that to for that, was that an easy decision for you to make? It was actually. Boy. It's just that compassion with the kids. 
and that joy that was coming out of it, mm. that feeling of completeness and happiness, yeah. was so powerful that money didn't really matter. Security didn't bother me or nothing. Yeah. It was like, mm. and even in that short journey, there was this sense of uh, faith that it's okay. Mm. You know, universe will take care of me. Yeah. Kind of thing. What, I just want to touch on that a bit more about like your faith and what, how powerful is that for you? And maybe what are your daily practices with faith that kind of make you think like that and have obviously driven your actions as well? Yeah. I think it's, it's very powerful. I think it's in the journey, with anybody that takes a service journey, mm. uh, connecting with uh, whatever faith they are in, yeah. connecting spiritually somehow with their internal faith through, uh, through chanting, uh, singing for the Lord, meditating, reading good books, mm. or listening to uh, holy people, whatever the people you, that you like listening to in that sense. I think that process to me is powerful. I think it's uh, it's other side of the coin of this journey. Seva and Sadhana. I think both are inseparable. It has to be inseparable. Because when you, when you combine the both, Eventually, you find out that it's both the same thing. That's one part of it. There's no difference. Yeah. It's not like you put this away and grab this. So, do you need to explain that a bit more? So, the seva and sadhana part. Yes. So, it was very beautiful and easy understanding that uh, you do the seva in the sense like you see Lord or God or your faith in the hearts of people you serve. So, okay, what does that mean? What that means is you're interacting with the kid or you're able to serve a nice food that kids love. Mm. And now kid, the kid is eating that for the first time in his life or her life and enjoying that food. Mm. You're sitting right in front of them, right? And you're blessed to be able to be part of that process. That kid is so happy. Has a big smile on his face, right? And he's telling you how happy, or he's showing you how happy. Mm. At that moment, you're seeing Lord in his smile. You're seeing God in his eyes. You're seeing your faith in their hearts. You know? mm. And when you're able to connect like that or put that in that perspective the service becomes worship the service becomes sadhana and it's not like a separate thing of sadhana and service and the other thing is it brings your service to a whole other level it's not about changing the world or changing Ahmedabad or India or bring about change in everything it's about that child at that time, and you, mm. and your faith. And one child at a time, one family at a time, and it puts it in perspective. Yeah. It keeps you on the ground.
constantly. That's another very important thing. Yeah. It keeps you on the ground. Yeah. And it doesn't become just an activity for you anymore. Mm. It's a beautiful journey because of sure. sustainable journey. Yeah. That makes you happy every time you do it. Right. Yeah. 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 More you do it, more happy you are. Right. Brings you more peace, more love, more happiness. Because you're connecting on a deeper way. Mm. Not changing anything or goals or impact or analysis or any of those things. Sure. Those things are organic. Mm. It'll happen automatically. Mm. But to set a goal to change something and then start serving and then just look at that goal, yes, it's good, nothing wrong, then doing something completely selfish. Yeah. But if you can transform into something like this, yeah. it's even more powerful. Wow. And on that note, let's head straight to Big Talk. Um, and the one question I ask every guest is, what is one thing you want to do before you die? For me, it's very simple and always been the same since I was very young. It's like uh, the final role of humankind. You know, I, I want to be able to uh, to do self-realization. Is what I want to do. I want to I want to be in that samadhi. I want to feel that uh, bliss. I want to be connected to paramatma. Uh, because it's so clear in my mind, uh, not in my mind, I think it's clear, it's just uh, unfortunately not, it's not clear about other minds, but uh, I think that's the ultimate goal of being human Self-realization is the journey. Self-realization. Human being journey is the self-realization journey, nothing else. This, the body that we got, mm -hmm. of human being, we are the only form of bodies that can attain uh, self-realization. Our minds and bodies are designed to reach the self-realization. And that's the ultimate goal. Until we get there, mm. we're going to keep coming back as human beings. <laughs> wow. And is that through, do you feel like that's through meditation it could be it could be any different ways yeah, it could be just purely just super deep love with the Lord of any faith that you have and I truly have experience this is not um this is not preaching or something I'm quoting from reading but I truly believe that there's no no difference in Allah or Jesus or Shiva or Krishna. It's all the same. It's nothing different. They're all all same. It's one it's all one thing. You know? And that is when you when you sit in meditation and meditation is one way. Mm. So I really believe that there's three beautiful ways you can reach there of self realization. One is meditation. One is chanting and praising and singing Lord from the heart constantly. Every breath is a chanting. Mm. You get to a level where every breath is a chanting, mm. you can get there. Yeah. People yeah. have gotten there. Mm. So it's not new. And uh, the other way is just, just deep love 
for for this universe, for love, or nature, with God, and that is with self-awareness. Mm -hmm. That's called knowledge. Knowledge of you are part of Lord. Sure. You are also one of that. Mm -hmm. There is no difference between you and Him. And then being able to live that with awareness every moment, with mm -hmm. that knowledge. Wow. When you practice that mm -hmm. over a period of time, mm -hmm. or a period of lifetimes, then you can get there. Wow. So my follow-on question is, <clears throat> if you had 24 hours to live, what would you do in that 24 hours? Sit in meditation. For that whole 24 hours? Yes. Right. And third, <clears throat> and final question, what is your most treasured memory? Treasure memory? Mm. <laughs> See, guy like me has so many. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really tough to pick just one uh, or two or whatever. Uh, but I'm going to have to say there's so many, really. Mm. Uh, Connecting to my mom and dad and how all that, uh, them coming to U.S. and all that beautiful thing. Uh, uh, registering, uh, starting Manasadna and then being able to serve in a beautiful way. All those are just very powerful memories. But the, the treasure moment out of all of that that I want to uh, say is uh, during this practice of meditation, there are some times where, uh, where I was able to uh, connect in a very deeper way. Where uh, there was no time, and there was no where in my, and there was no body. And I was in a whole different world. And uh, it was hard to say for how long, because like I say, I didn't, couldn't connect to the time. It was, it was late night, and mm -hmm. early morning time uh, of couple of time, but uh, that experience is the, the most powerful experience in my life. And I, I kind of crave for it. Mm -hmm. And I try to uh, get there again. want to do it. Uh, not that it's good to have that desire to... They say that it's not good to have that desire to, mm -hmm. to crave for that. But I suppose for you, you've experienced some kind of truth, I guess. And then yeah, but I think that the way I... That feeling which is impossible to describe, actually. It was that powerful that you cannot describe it. It was that powerful, so beautiful that you're, you're just, you're one weather. You're in the lap of the universe and, and that happiness and joy and peace and intense, uh, uh, amazing feeling of energy and power within. Uh, it's hard to describe, but that was it. Amazing. What a waste went it. Birambay, thank you so much for that. It was oh, thank honestly you. such an honor. Such Hope a that all this babbling and sharing would 
be beneficial to somebody. <laughs> Amazing. Well, if not anyone, for me. <laughs> Thank you so much for inviting me.